We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. here of setting the pace and joining me again this week making a fresh return from walt disney world the one and only magic mike Fachi. Fachi, what's going on brother wow magic mike i don't know if that's the nickname i want but you know what it feels good to be back oh boy through yeah through in the airpods <laughs> and just listen to an old-fashioned slander fest <laughs> from you last week doing me dirty Giving me Brad Wanamaker. I don't know if that was worse than all the the you know the wizard hate. You had a couple clever ones. I'll give you that. <laughs> Waverly Place and the Wizard of Oz. All that was good. But man, sticking me with Brad Wanamaker. That was just a low blow. Man, I was trying so hard to find former pace or former pacers that played with the Wizards or or vice versa, current pacers that played with the Wizards and. There was only like seven people to pull from, so that's the best I could do. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, shout out to Kevin Serafin. He was one of the guys that came on our show like early on, so always got a soft spot for Serafin. But, man, you know, you look at Ty Lawson, you're like, forget that guy was really ever even a pacer. But, you know, uh, man, my team just did not stack up against the rest. But for anyone that listened or saw the graphic, I had nothing to do with that team at all. And I will not claim that starting five. Well, I'm curious. Obviously, you saw the six players I picked for you. Do you happen to know who the other Washington Wizard was that I didn't really bring up as a as a that was a former Pacer and Wizard? Uh, I, I just remember the starting five. So I might be missing the, the sixth man. Uh, you know, shout out to so, David for for thinking that I was worthy of being the seventh man on that squad. I appreciate that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man, so, I don't yeah, know if I want to be contributing on that team. But, well, uh, you had Aaron Holiday as your starting point guard, Brad Wanamaker, CJ oh. Miles, 
and then Kevin Serafin, Yamahemi, and then I put Ty Lawson on the bench as your sixth man. But there was another guy. There might have been more than I missed, but this is one that really stuck out to me. He was a former guest on our show, and I think he might have even announced that he retired on our show as ah, well. Ah, Trevor Booker. Yeah. Trevor Booker, he did announce his retirement on Setting the Pace. That did not get enough coverage, but I respect that. Trevor <laughs> Booker was actually like one of our first Instagram followers, I remember. Uh you know, he, he had been on the show, I think, like twice or so. Good good man. Good man. Okay. Well, let me ask you this because, you know, obviously those are my buddies that I do the pod that I did the podcast with on Thursday while you were gone in Disney World. And we were having a we were just having a lot of fun. And I kind of gave them a heads up of what I was going to be doing. I had already made that graphic before we did the draft and sent it to them. So they were all in on the joke, just for everybody listening. And they love the back and forth with it. So they they think it's great. But we were talking today and I was like, you know, I'm curious if we were to pick like in census starting five since that season of 2010 2011, you know, who would it be? And so this is a very tough discussion because, you know, I was, my first thought was like, well, Halliburton's probably the best point guard by far, yep. but he's only been here for 22 games or whatever it is. So should he really count right now? I don't, I don't know if you can put him on there if you're really looking at like, you know, weighing the previous statistics versus, projecting to what they could be because you know Oladipo was a two-time all-star uh you got Roy Hibbert two-time all-star was on the all-defensive team you got you know Sabonis two-time all-star Paul George multiple-time all-star Danny Granger was an all-star David West was a huge part of this team as well so it's like when you start to build that five from 2010 to now it's tough and I know a lot of people are going to have a soft spot for Lance because of what he meant to the team early on but uh don't ever think he reached that level but nah unfortunately not out of that group, I mean, if you were just picking, like, the best starting five with a six-man from that era, I mean, what would yours be? See, that's the thing. I know that the sample size for Halliburton is not large enough, but if you're going in a battle and you could say, hey, who's the point guard that, that you know, can put us over the top? It's got to be Halliburton. Mm -hmm. Because if you're weighing him against another point guard, like, is the competition really George Hill? Like, I mean, what you could do is you could start Vic. At point guard. And yeah, you then, could. You could. I mean, you, you definitely could do that for sure. Oh, man. And because I, then you slide PG up to two, Danny to three, then you play West at the four, and then decide between Hibbert and Sabonis at the five, and then the other one's a six-man. Uh, but if you if you put Halliburton on there, then who are you taking off? Because I, I have this bad taste in my mouth that I want to try and put to the side on Oladipo because it's like, Oh, that one year, that 2017-2018 year, it was a very special year. I mean, he was all defensive first team, all NBA third team. I mean, this was the guy who really brought it that year. So you could start him at point guard. And then I, I like what you said. So you got Oladipo at, at, at the one. You got Paul George at the two. Danny at the three. West at four. And then at that point, I mean, do you – what do you do? I mean, if you're playing modern basketball right over there, are you going with Sabonis because you know you're going to get more points? And then, but as Hibbert as a six man, that's not really like, you know, like, that's <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, you know, Hibbert isn't your ideal sixth man. Um, but it, it's tough. But I just feel like if you really want to go for it all, Halliburton's the guy that you got to have leading the point. And, and I think Oladipo could be the sixth man. Yeah. I mean, I think you could start Halliburton, Oladipo, Granger. Paul George, and then probably Sabonis, and then bring David West off the bench. Yeah. 
I, I think that makes more sense to me. That was my initial thought when I sent the text out of like, this is who, like I said, this is who I think I would put out here. And I didn't have Hibbert on there. And then I'm like, well, Hibbert was, uh, you know, an all defensive player, all one of the all defensive teams. Mm -hmm. But I wonder like if we're projecting and looking at him, like, does he clog up the paint? But that's, that's what I'm saying. That's where we're at of like, right. Like Hibbert, like what he brings to the table, what he brought was phenomenal but with this team moving forward i don't think he would fit in as much as you know someone else like a like a sabonis that could bring you know a lot more rebounds you know he's going to give you a lot more points he's going to be a better passer he's going to set better screens so it's it's tough but hibbert could be getting left off the list yeah and i think one of the things too like i don't think hibbert's a great pick and roller as well like kind of clunky where i think sabonis would just dominate in the pick and roll yep him and I think him and and uh, West would actually have a really good two man game in that low post there, and you know West can hit the mid range shot. Obviously, we know. I, I think if West were to play in modern basketball, like he wouldn't be a great defender in space with how big he was, but he could still shoot the three. So I, I, I like the idea of that, but I, I like him coming off the bench, kind of being that go to scorer off the bench, and I like playing a little bit more modern with Granger and Paul George at the three and the four. I love it, I and love then it. you know just imagine like. With those two defensive guys, Victor was pretty good defensively oh, when yeah. he was at his peak. And then I think Caliburton's got enough size where he could be a little bit better. You just really miss that rim protection. So, I mean, if you're looking at, like, best fit, maybe it's not Sabonis as the best fit. But I'm I'm talking about accolades and overall talent. I think you have to put Sabonis as the best center since 2010. Yeah, because I think you have to also because – that time with Hibbert, it was like a flash in the pan type of thing. And it just feels like if you put Hibbert right now, I, I just don't think he's making that same type of impact. I feel like his whole, you know, hand straight up approach at that time was like, oh, my God, you know, te teams just couldn't couldn't get past it. And now I just feel like it wouldn't have that. I don't see him being a two time all star in this era, basically 10 years later. Yeah, but, I mean, but I guess you can't count that against him because in his yeah, era, he, he was, was that. You know what he, I mean? He was. He was. He, he for sure was. I just feel like over there, you're, you're getting a team that you want to bring it all, you know, win it all. I feel like you need someone bringing a little bit more than just rim protection. Yeah, and I think there were so many lows with Roy as well throughout his career as a pacer. Like, yeah. there's some, definitely some big highs, but there were some big lows too, like, he was tough to watch at times. Like he couldn't hit a basket around, you know, around the rim That's at all. What I was going to say, who's going to go, who's more likely to go scoreless or give you less than 10. You're going to say Hibbert over Sabonis every single time. Yeah. That's, that's where it is for me. It's just like, it's so tough. Cause I'm not trying to be like negative towards Roy. Cause I really yeah. enjoyed Roy when he was here. <laughs> you know, he was a fun guy to root for, but at the same time, he was also frustrating to watch. So uh, I guess a lot of people feel that same way about Sabonis too. I'm sure. But um I just feel like that's probably the best six, even if you're like trying to weigh like the proven versus the the future, that kind of thing, like projection versus proven. And I just feel like Halliburton did enough in that one did. half of a season to make you feel like, okay, this is going to translate here. I mean, for crying out loud, he had 17 and a half points for the Pacers last year and his, you know, 26 games that he played, he shot 56 Point uh point yeah fifty six point five percent from two when he shot an incredible forty one point six percent from three so it's like you're having lights out shooters with Granger Halliburton George and Oladipo is an okay you know three point shooter not great but um at times where Paul maybe couldn't have been the closer Oladipo could have been 
So mm-hmm. I just feel like that would have been a really balanced team. And the more I talk about it, like, no offense to Hibbert, I just don't feel like he's the guy that I would prefer on this roster. I don't want to say I'm getting emotional, but I'm getting up in my feelings because it's like we're talking about, like, the best of a couple of different years that you just wish we could have put it all together. You know, you wish that some of these guys could have overlapped. I mean, like, what would it have been like if Oladipo and Paul George really were playing together? Mm-hmm. Or we got Danny Granger in his prime with Paul George in his prime. I mean, think just simple things like that. It just makes you feel like, oh, there was just a couple of years in between a lot of these players being able to play together. And unfortunately, yeah, look, I know we're, we're breaking down basically a decade of Pacer basketball, but few of these guys really just missed each other. And it's uh, it, it's definitely unfortunate. Some of them were even really traded for each other in, in the Oladipo and Paul George instance. But man, I, I agree with that with that five of leaving Hibbert out, unfortunately. But Halliburton's got to be in there because in that 20-plus game sample size, we saw enough to say this guy can actually go down as an all-time pacer great if mm-hmm. he can just keep doing this over, you know, uh, however many years span. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. But I think we I think we got off topic a little bit here. Oh, of course we did. Uh, for today's episode, but I, I do want to give the, the listeners an idea of what we're going to be talking about. So, Fachi, can you let the listeners know what we're going to be talking about mostly in today's show before we take a quick break? Absolutely. So this is the deadest time of the year. I mean, it is just the desert out there in terms of NBA news. So we thought what we'd do is just kind of highlight a few different goals for each player on the team. And we're going to start, you know, going with position wise, we're going with point guards today. So we're going to set, you know, basically about five goals that each point guard on the Pacers should have for this upcoming season. Yeah. And, and we're, we're looking at, you know, Halliburton, McConnell and Nimhard. So if you're if you're curious about those guys, we're going to set our goals for them. It's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, I'll be right. We'll be right back after this. Magic Mike is ready to talk Pacers basketball. Hey, everybody, before we get back to the show, I want to take a quick second to let you guys know about an incredible sponsor that we have Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. You guys can check them out Thursday, Friday and Saturday at 11 o'clock. They close at seven on Thursdays and Fridays and six on Saturdays. Located off of Brookville Road, a.k.a. US 52 and German Church Road. The address is 2316 South German Church Road on the east side of Indianapolis, very close to New Pal area. They have terrific barbecue. If you're a big barbecue fan, I'm telling you, the brisket is to die for. The pulled pork is amazing. The rib tips are awesome. The ribs are great on Saturday, so is the chicken, I'm telling you. They have delicious food. Make sure you check them out. Check out their website, ordersmokingbarrelbbq.com, to place your pre-orders and browse the menu to see what they have available. Let's get back to the show. All right, Magic Mike, we are back, and we are here to talk about the point guards and the goals we have for them this upcoming season. I came up with two, and you were only supposed to come up with two, but you were like, I couldn't resist. I had to do three. So we got a total of five for each player. Um, and Fachi is the overachiever here. So I'll let you go first and we'll go back and forth sharing our goals. But what is your first goal that you have set up for the rookie Andrew Nimhart? All right. So, yeah, you know me, always breaking the rules, just could not stop myself, had to throw in an extra goal. So right over here for Andrew Nimhart, I'm saying protect the rock as much as possible. In college, Nimhart averaged basically between, you know, three to three and a half assists per turnover. So he had seasons where it was, you know, even basically higher, whereas 4.4 assists to 1.2 turnovers. 
with 5.8 assists to 1.9 turnovers. So essentially, when he's when he's called upon, protect the ball, make the smart play, look to initiate, you know, y- your teammates rather than looking for your shot. So I'd say, you know, goal number one, protect the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great goal for a young player. Um, it's going to be tough, I think, because just seeing this level of talent that you're going up against, it's going to be difficult. But I, I think that he'll be able to fit in. I don't think they would have drafted him 31st overall if they didn't believe in his potential. Yep. So I just wonder how much of the how much time he's going to see this year, obviously. More so going to be the third string point guard behind Halliburton and McConnell. It's kind of why we're starting with him first. And this is why I'm very adamant that they utilize Nimhard to play in the G League quite a bit this season. Um there's 50 games overall in the G League regular season. I would like to see Nimhard down there for at least 10 to 15 games. And personally for me, I, I think you kind of notice this too. Like when there's guys that are too good for the G League, but they're just sitting on the bench, I'd rather them go to the G League and dominate for two to three weeks and realize probably they're probably too good for this and get reps in than kind of get cold sitting on the bench. And I know it's good to absorb and be there and be able to observe what's going on. But I think at the same time, like you look at a guy like Goga, like this is a guy that dominated the G league. Like, let's be honest. Like he was like, are you serious? But I feel like if it was me as a player, I would rather go down there and dominate like that than sit on the bench and watch Turner and Sabonis every game and not ever see the court. So for me personally, I said, I'd like to see Nimhard play 10 to 15 of the 50 games in the G league. I think that's going to help him uh, get reps. And I think it's also going to allow him to develop. So just giving him the reins a little bit, saying, hey, you're going to lead our team out here in the G League, kind of like they did in the Summer League, and it will only further his chemistry with Andrew Nimhard. And I think we kind of saw that a little bit. Those guys that played in the G League together last year, like Terry Taylor, uh, Isaiah Jackson, Dwayne Washington Jr., that, that group that came up, you saw that chemistry and how they had formed it in the G League when they got called up to the regular season roster. First of all, I, I believe you mean Shaquille Bataze, all yeah. right? Because <laughs> when Goga went down there, I believe he dropped like 42 and then immediately got called up and just barely even played. I know. And it, it, it made no sense. You should have let Goga stay down there and just put on a string of dropping, you know, 30 to 40, whatever, get that confidence sky high. So I'm with you. I think Nemhard can benefit big time from being able to, you know, really have – a long, long leash in the G League where he can really take command of an offense, get everyone going. And just to your point, I thought all those guys benefited from the G League last mm-hmm. year. We saw Terry Taylor come up and immediately contribute. So I thought that was awesome. I would love to see that 10 to 15 games minimum because you know early on in the season, look, the Pacers aren't going to just openly say, hey, we're, we're not tanking. We're going to try and win every game. So, you know, it, it could be tough to get an MR those minutes. So let's let him get it early on the G League. So I'm with you on that. Hey, and, real quick. You called him Shaquille Batadze. You were just in Orlando. Should I be concerned that you're becoming a Magic fan? Never that. Never that. You, you break out your Magic Mike jokes. Maybe I'll, you know, sprinkle some pixie dust on, on Nemhard, whatever, some Magic. Whatever I can do, just keep him hey, coming. you I'm said gonna... Shaquille. I didn't even bring it up. Yeah, yeah, you know me. Just, just. Couldn't help myself. Found a new team while Southeast Division. You can't get away from it. Southeast can't, Division. <laughs> I, I can't do it. So hey, you know, you know, Magic Mike over here delivering another one. But uh, <laughs> here's what we got. We got next. 
Nemhard won't be asked to score that much next season. But one thing that I think could be asked of him, play some defense. So he actually had a solid defensive rating and defensive win share in college last year. So I, I think that if he can carve out, you know, some defensive capabilities in the NBA level, I think it could speed up his process. Six, four and a half. Look, not going to say he's undersized. Not going to say he's oversized. Um, but patient point guards got torched at times last year. I think if he can buy in defensively, I think it could go a long way. So, so far, my two things, protect the ball, play some defense. I think those would be some of the most beneficial things for him to do early on his rookie year. Yeah, that's a great point, bringing up his height as well, because I understand McConnell is a little bit smaller, but yep. they traded for Halliburton, who's six foot five, and, and, and Andrew Nimhart, six four and a half, six foot five, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that to me is also very interesting as well, because it's like, do the Pacers like bigger point guards? I mean, they obviously had Brogdon, who was six foot yep. six. Um, so I'm curious if they're trying to get away from the smaller point guards like your Jalen Brunson sizes, um, just Keep because of. Yeah, Keeper Sykes. I mean, <laughs> that was more of a situational thing than I think anything else last year, just rewarding a guy. Um, but I'm just saying, like, I think they prefer having a little bit of a guard, a point guard that can be a little bit more switchable and not so easy to attack. Like, even Trey Young, like, as small as he is, teams go at him on the defensive side of the ball where he can't guard them. So that, to me, is interesting. I, I mean, obviously, if there's a talented player that's, like, 6'2 or shorter, like, you take the guy and make it work. But I'm just curious, like the Pacers must really like the the size and the defensive potential of those point guards there. But I'll, I'll move on to my last one here for Nimhart. I just said shoot 35% from three in his rookie season. Um, he shot 38% Fachi in his senior year of college, but in his freshman, sophomore, and junior seasons, he never shot over 35%. Uh, the closest was 34%. Uh, his freshman year, and then he kind of dipped down to 30, 30%, and then got back up to 32%. But I will say the bright spot is he did shoot 38% last year at Gonzaga, and that was his highest attempt total as well, 4.2 a game. So I'm not sure how many he'll shoot, but I do know that the NBA three-point line is a bit further back than the college three-point line. So I'm just hoping he shoots 35% from three because I think that's going to be huge to his development. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I really do think that he has that capability. I mean, for his advanced stats on Tankathon, they had him translating to potentially a 43% three-point shooter. Uh, so, I mean, oh, actually, it was actually a little bit lower than that. But he has the capabilities of doing that. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think that if he can shoot the three, I think that it's really going to help, um, you know, big time. Shoot the three, protect the rock. Play some defense right over there. I think those are three things that are going to be able to get you on the court early. Mm. So my last thing that I got, you know, I had it as my honorary goal for him. Soak up as much knowledge as possible. Act as almost like a coaching intern because he's going to have a lot to watch before he's really thrusted into play major minutes. So keep your eyes and ears open and ask as many questions as possible. I really think all of that, this could be kind of like, that internship year for him because we really cannot predict how much playing time he's going to get. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what coach he's assigned to. I know they kind of like give coaches a few different players. So like individually work out with and, and keep in touch with. And I'm kind of wondering if it's going to be Ronald Norad just because of their relationship that they developed in terms of the summer league him being the head coach there. And I maybe wonder if they're like, okay, you know, Norad was a point guard himself. So maybe he sees the, the court a certain way. And I know, a lot of people have said that Nimhart is definitely a Carlisle guy. 
So you have to wonder how much of an influence Carlisle is going to have on him as well and how much he takes him under his wing. But for sure, Fachi, I, I like that as well. He needs to absorb as much because that's that's the benefit if you're not playing is being able to understand what's going on and maybe talking with McConnell on the bench multiple games, uh, just kind of reading his mind, like, what are, what are you doing here? Why were you doing this? You know, that kind of stuff. And I know that they uh, they talked about – I forget who brought it up, but I think it might have been Scott Agnes brought it up, like – watching plays on the iPad uh, during like pregame and stuff like that. And how, uh, you know, they, they're always going through film and stuff like that. So it's interesting to me. And I think Nimhard's going to benefit from that greatly, but let's move on to the backup point guard, TJ McConnell. Fachi, give me your first goal for TJ. All right. So for McConnell, I'm going to say number one, get back to being the pesky menace from 2020 to 2021 season where he was second in the league in steals at 1.9 steals per game. And it felt like this was the sneakiest man in an NBA backcourt. You know, you got to remember the McConnell backcourt, you know, the inbound steal, like that was like the most feared move in the NBA, it felt like. But as as last year went on, and I know he was hurt, his steals fell from 1.9 per game to 1.1. That's nearly a 50% drop-off, which is massive. So at this point, if McConnell can go back to being, you know, that pesky defender that, you know, you really can't see, but he's just, you know, racking up steals. We saw him have a triple-double with 10 steals. So if he can get back to that, I think that would be extremely important to the team. Yeah, and you talk about that 1.1 steals per game. That was his third lowest out of his seven seasons in the NBA, and I'm sure that injury did have something to do with it. And he he really is a good defender um, in terms of, you know, knowing when to jump the passing lanes, being sneaky. I think he tries really hard, but we talked about this with with Nimhard, like switchability. I don't think he's a guy you can switch with on everybody. He'll try, and he'll defend his butt off, but um, there's only so much you can do when you're that short. <laughs> so, uh, But I, I would love to see that as well. I think he could be really fun in the open court, especially running like pick and rolls with Isaiah Jackson in that second unit. But for me, Fachi, I will say my first goal for him, uh, be our second goal overall here for McConnell, is attempt 125 threes this season. His highest attempt ever is 89, and that happened in his rookie season with the tanking Philadelphia 76ers. I know this sounds crazy. I know that we talk about how nasty his three-point shot is. I'm not even saying – I mean, I I was leaving it up to you. Maybe you'll bring it up in terms of what you want his shooting percentage to be from three. I just – didn't want to steal that one. I know I was picking before you got your chance to pick. So I was trying to leave you some good ones here. But my biggest concern with him is like we're playing this style of offense and he's not shooting any threes at all. Uh, hopefully he's able to play more games because last year he only took, um, let me see here how many he actually took per, uh, through I'm, in, term, in terms of totals, he just took 33 last year, Fachi. So he's going to have to, you know, times that by five basically to reach the goal that I have for him. So, I just want to see him grow in terms of a player for his benefit and for the team's benefit. And I think that if he can just, if he's really worked on that shot, then I want him to shoot it more because it's only going to make him more dangerous if he's able to be a threat from out there. No, absolutely. I'm looking at it right now. And McConnell hasn't attempted more than 53s, uh, you know, dating back to the 2017, 2018 season. A lot has happened in the NBA since then. And yeah. it just, Last time, I mean, you could you could honestly fill out your taxes, have them submitted, and get the return before he really got into his, his windup. <laughs> I mean, it took a long time last year, and and it's just all that weight for the shot to not go in. 
we, he's got to get a faster, you know, faster windup. So um, hopefully he can. I mean, if he can get 89 threes up, you know, or, or basically you mentioned 125 threes, that would be a massive improvement. And you got to imagine that he was putting in the work last year on his three-point shooting. You got to imagine then, you know, he's had a, a long time to, to really continuing to up that with expectations, knowing that we need more threes from him. Man, if he can attempt a hundred threes, something like that, be even a reasonable threat from three, it could go a long way because we're talking about a guy that while he's a career, you know, 32% shooter from three, last year he shot 30% and then 31 the year before that and 29 before that. So it's like, he's never been a remote threat from three. So I, I think that would be extremely important. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, I was gonna say real quick if he if he if he attempts 125 threes a game next season or not a game 125 threes for the season yeah. that would be 1.5 threes per game. Excuse me, I was getting ahead of myself there, but 1.5 threes per game if he shot 125 for the season seems completely reasonable. Just two threes, that's it, or close yeah. to it. So I guess looking at it right now, because he only played 27 games last year. He was averaging 1.2 threes per game. So, yeah, I think it's very possible. It is. Mm -hmm. He stays healthy, of course. Um, next, I have get back to being more efficient. McConnell shot 48% from the field last year, which if you just looked at his height, you'd say, hey, not bad. But it was actually his lowest uh, percentage since the 2016-2017 season. Yeah. So it just felt like in the past he'd always made that smart play, didn't kind of – do anything he wasn't you know uncomfortable with but last year it felt like he was shooting threes because he felt like he had to shoot threes and even when he was open it just didn't look like he was confident so if he can get back to making those either a be more confident in your shot or b getting back to just better shot selection i think it could go a long way because look at this drop off last year mcconnell shot 48 percent well the year before he shot 56 percent yeah that is a big difference well, and I think what's interesting too, Fachi, is like he's he averaged more shot attempts than he had, you know, last season than he had all his career. Seven point seven, uh, you know, field goal attempts last year per game. When you know the year before that was his highest, was seven point one. And I, I think honestly, the difference in styles between Bjorken and Carlisle was one thing. I think number two, um, his contract year was 2020, 2021. So he was playing for something bigger. And then, like you said, number three, the injury. I mean, all three factors played into that. And I think that, you know, while we had Jay Michael come on and he did talk a little bit about McConnell, maybe not being a Rick Carlisle guy based on his style of play, um, I think that that's kind of shifted after we realized or maybe Carlisle realized what else he brings to the table outside of like on-court stuff. And I think there's a reason why you really haven't heard his name brought up in trade rumors at all, Fauci, because – I think the team values what he brings to the locker room, maybe a little bit more than some of the other guys that they've had out there in trade room is a little bit more in terms of veterans. And maybe it's because he's under contract for longer and embraces this rule, or maybe some of the other guys are looking to to get on, you know, playoff contending teams. Hey, you're right. I mean, I remember we had that question a couple of weeks ago, like what's McConnell's deal? Like give up your spot and let's get Lance on the team. And it's like, look, there's a couple of factors in here. Like, TJ McConnell is like a model citizen who clearly has embraced this role. We've even heard him, you know, at times like mic'd up where he's really just talking up the team, almost being like kind of like a cheerleader out there, really, you know, pumping up the team. 
And I just feel like for McConnell, a guy that was undrafted, I mean, you got to imagine he's already won. He's already won at life. He, he's thinking, hey, I'm under contract for the next few years. I'm owed at least $25 million moving forward. Like, I don't need to be the starting point guard on a championship contender. I've carved out a, a real NBA career that at one point seemed like a long shot. And I got three years left on my deal over here. So I think that he is up for the challenge of whatever the coaching staff needs him to do. So it kind of takes me into, you know, my last point was mm -hmm. be the ultimate veteran for Hal Burton and Nemhard. Be a true professional and be an open book for Nemhard and Hal Burton to learn from. Because I think he's got a lot of expertise that he can lend. And, and there's a lot that, that at, at this point, those guys can really benefit from because Nemhard isn't ready for all that. And I'm sure, I'm sure Hal Burton probably learned some from Brogdon last year, but it just feels like Hal Burton is, I mean, uh, McConnell's that guy that you don't have to look over your shoulder about and say, Hey, he's probably going to steal my job. No, I think it's pretty clear. Hal Burton's the guy moving forward, but he, he might not be there completely yet because he is very young. So he does need someone to lean on. And what better veteran right now than TJ McConnell to learn from? Yeah, I think as crazy as it sounds, I think he's the best voice in the locker room in terms of so. veteran leadership. Okay. Um, no knock on Buddy or Miles or anybody else on the roster that we still have that's a little bit older. I just feel like that that to me is what I'm valuing the most is what McConnell has to say. And we always talk about it, but you know, his dad was a coach and Absolutely. it's like it's brought up all the time. He's a blood. Yeah, so he he's definitely an extension of his father and being brought up by uh, by a coach and being a coach's son. And I think that he is an open book. I think that he truly enjoys teaching the game and seeing things from a different level. Like even when you heard him mic'd up in the bubble, like just the encourager that he was for his entire teammates. Like I love the 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 clip where he's like encouraging goga like come on goga let's go yep. yeah it's just like okay like goga needs that okay goga is a guy that's kind of down on himself hasn't really been getting the playing time and then sabonis gets hurt in this bubble and so now goga's got to have a bigger role than he previously had and it can be a little bit exciting but also intimidating at the same time and you're kind of on a short leash because you know mcmillan's very strict and and wants a certain style of play and if you don't live up to those expectations then you're probably not going to get the see the core very much and Here's McConnell, you know, guy that's getting minutes, just doing whatever he can. And, you know, that, that to me is just who he is. He is a true pro, Fachi. And I think that's why he's going to be impactful for not just the younger guys, but for the whole team. Like, not even the guys playing his position. I think he's just going to be so impactful for everybody. But now let's move on to the face of the franchise. Former guest of Setting the Pace, Tyrese Halliburton Fachi. Woo! This is going to be a good year for Tyrese, I feel like. But, um, do we should we talk about his play at the Drew League? Maybe we should have opened up with that. Yeah, I mean, hey, maybe, maybe we should. I mean, look, Tyrese Halliburton got the people paying attention. I mean, I tweeted out he had he had a, a pass that everyone was talking about, and it just feels like I love the fact that Tyrese is going to draw back the casual fan to the Pacers, and it's not just going to be like, oh yeah, like uh, yeah, you know, sorry to hear about Paul George and Oladipo. Instead, it's going to be like, no, like. We have someone very exciting that you need to watch. And I think Tyrese Halliburton is going to be that guy that people are talking about for years to come. I don't know what his specific stats were in the Drew League. I know you love nothing more than saying, oh, you can't take those stats into effect because because uh, Taylor Horton Tucker had a subpar performance over there. But I know people were talking about Halliburton in the Drew League, and I love it. 
14 points, nine rebounds, six assists. His team won 93-67. There we go. Sounds yeah. like the man didn't need to do much more. Had had him on cruise control. And, you know, that's the kind of point guard that we want over here. Uh, love that that it's just he he's going to get the job done. And I know that he hasn't experienced a lot of winning in his career yet. But when that comes, I think it's going to be one of the best things for him because he's got the talent. But, man, this, this guy, it, it's going to come. And yeah. he's the first person to set the tone and be like, hey, guys, it ain't going to be next year. We're going to make <laughs> a lot of mistakes. We're going to yeah. clean it up. Bear with us. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. I mean, knowing that and, and still trying to play your best is going to be interesting how they handle that. But I, I think it's all about development. And whatever happens, happens. I mean, if they're better than expected, then, you know, good for them. They're ahead of the curve in terms of developing. And maybe that means somebody like Matherin really pops, right? So. Yep. Nothing wrong with that, but let's get into Halliburton. Fachi, what's your number one goal, or I guess your first goal here for Halliburton and our and our goals for the upcoming season? My first goal is fully embrace being the leader. In in summer league, they interviewed me. They said, hey, uh, you know, are you the leader of this team? And you kind of have like a wishy-washy answer, like, uh, yeah, I guess so. And it's like, no, no, no. We're only going to go as far as Tyrese Halliburton can take us. So yeah. he needs to go into this season saying, this is my team. I'm going to set the tone. I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to organize the team events, the team dinners, get people together. Like he's got to be that guy. And it looked like he wanted to be that guy in Sacramento, but you, know, you already have De'Aaron Fox there. He, he was a franchise. Then you come over here and it's like, oh, Bro Michael Brogdon's the point guard over here. Well, Brogdon's not here anymore. This is your team and you've got to act like it's your team. So I know it's new to him. But we're all like, we've rolled out the red carpet. The stage is his. It, it's for the taking. So, Tyrese, whenever you're ready, this is your team now. Yeah, I mean, he's only 21 years old, right, Fachi? So, if he, he'll be 22 this year. I'm not sure when his, when his birthday is. But, I mean, I definitely think it's going to be a bigger role for him, for sure. And I think that there's a lot that he's got on his plate. But at the same time, he can't worry about that. He's got to focus on his overall game and let the leadership come naturally, which I think he's actually a natural leader. I think so. And it won't be something he has to try super hard. I think he loves being a point guard. He kind of talked about his relationship with Carlisle and how good it is. So I'm not worried about that. I just want I just want to see him take the next step and 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 becoming a better player because I think he has a ton of room to grow still. Oh, yes. Um Obviously, it's a scary thing. It's a yeah. scary thing for a man that talented because we're not, we're just scratching the surface here. Yeah. I mean, looking at last year, okay, so he gets traded to the Pacers. He plays 26 games, 17.5 points per game. But what I thought was really interesting here, Fachi, 50% from the field, 41.6% from three, and he shot 85% from the free throw line. Okay. This is why my first goal for Tyrese Halliburton, it's going to be tough but I want to see him become a member of the 50-40-90 club. I want to see him get a higher percentage on the free throws. 85 is good. 90 is great. He's already proven through 26 games, which is about a fourth of the season, a little bit over, that he can be a 50-40 guy on, on decent attempts, the most attempts he's ever had from the three-point line and the most attempts he's ever had from the two-point uh, area as well for him. So, I, I mean, in terms of where he's played at with uh, us and the Kings. So definitely a bigger role for him. He said he wants to average 20 and 10 on this podcast. So maybe he forces a little bit and doesn't reach it, but I would love to see him reach that because that's an elite level. I, I think Brogdon did that before he came to the Pacers, yeah. right? Reggie Miller is a part of that group. Larry Bird's a part of that group. Steph Curry, obviously. So Nash. 
Steve Nash, you're talking about guys that are lights out shooters from three, really good free throw shooters. And not to mention, I think most of those guys, not all of them were, were decent passers as well. So, uh, you know, which is something, something that's up in his alley. I just think he's able to see the floor so well and take advantage of those spots, but I would love to see him do it. I think it's potentially uh, going to be difficult, but I, I would love to see him do it. Oh, it'll be tough, but I think he has what it takes because you talked about it, 85% three, uh, free throw shooter last year, you know, with the Pacers. I mean, free throws, you would think, hey, if that's the category you got to get up, oh, yeah, he can do that. I really do think that Tyrese Halliburton can be a 90% free throw shooter in this league. Uh, now, what, when, when you're going to take that next step and average 20 points per game on a, you know, potentially losing team, that's when it's going to be tough to be, you know, put, you know, averaging 50% or better from the field, but he did it in 26 games. So I think he can do it again. I think that that is a realistic goal. Won't be easy, but I think that he can definitely do it. And if he can't do it, I think we can easily be talking about a guy who's, who's shooting 48, 40 and 90 and something like that. I mean, that's really tough to do. So, yeah. This will probably just be a goal I have for him until yeah. he reaches it. Oh yeah. I think he can do it, and I think getting more help on the team will only help that as well, not having to bear so much of the load. But at the same time, I don't think he needs to worry about that. Just play your game and do your thing. So I uh, I would love someone to ask, like, Terry's, how much pressure is on you to join the 50-40-90 club this year? He'd be like, what? Who said that? But, (laughs) you know, it's still – it shows that not – I mean, it's to say not anyone can do that. Very few people can do that. The list is very slim – the majority of those players are Hall of Famers or will be Hall of Famers. So it's an elite class to be in. Um, you know, no offense, Brogdon. Brogdon's kind of the guy that made it in there that, you know, obviously sticks out a bit of a sore thumb. But, uh, you know, we'll see. But next I have on my list, keep improving on defense. We know Halliburton can get steals. We know that. Averages 1.6 steals per game for his career. But can he continue to improve on the ball defense? Because even he mentions – you know, people, oh, he said, I'm, I'm glad that you complimented me as a defender because people don't think I play defense. <laughs> so even he knows that that is a knock on his game, but no one's going to knock his offensive capabilities, his, his efficiency from the field, his his scoring, his assists. No one's going to question that. But his defense is where they're going to point to and say, if he wants to take that next step, that's really where he has to grow. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because defensively, I mean, Yes, he's kind of similar to McConnell where he knows how to shoot the gaps and has good timing on that stuff, but the on-ball defense has got to be better, I think. I will say this. He does look a little thin. (laughs) I I think so, too. Like I don't know how much more that helps. I mean, he's got the size. I don't think he's weak by any means. I'm just saying he's thinner. I think he's a little bit easier to push around. I I think so. 6'5", 185, that's what he's listed as. It it feels like... Sure, you know, maybe you'd like it if he could beef up a little bit, but it does look like he's not like wiry by any means, but he he ain't, he ain't thick, all right? So we'll, yeah. see, we'll say that. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to see him improve on defense as well, and I wanted to bring this up real quick because we were just talking about the 50-40-90 club. I've got the list up. Uh, I'm not sure about last season, but the, the year before that is where this is up to date at. Kyrie Irving was the last player to join that in 2020-2021. Uh, but you got Kyrie, Malcolm, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, like you said, Steve Nash, who's on this list four times, Dirk Nowitzki, Reggie Miller, Mark Price, and then Larry Bird twice. 
So definitely uh, some elite company there. And it looks like Nash and Curry are only two of the nine players to have 50-40-90 in an MVP season. So that is interesting as well. But with that being said, we're not here to talk about that. Defensively, though, I agree with you. He has a lot of room for improvement there. And in terms of, like, being switchable, I think he can do that to a certain degree. But I also think defense has to just be better overall. And this is where he can step up as a team leader, Fachi because I think it's all about communication. And I felt like last year there was just a lack of communication with guys just, you know, not picking up certain defensive assignments or not switching when they should be switching and guys not hedging at the right time, or maybe they're playing drop and uh, someone doesn't drop correctly. So I just think that this has got to be like where they step up their game a little bit more. And he's more of that vocal leader on the defensive side of things. Yeah. I, I very much look forward to him being, you know, as vocal as possible. And I think that that was tough to do last year when, playing with all brand new teammates, but this off season that they spent together, I think is going to be extremely beneficial. And the fact that they all are around the same age, I think we're going to get a tight knit group. And I think that if Tyrese really buys into, you know, defensive capabilities and really is leading by example, the rest will follow. So I'm excited for that. Uh, the last goal I have on here, it's going to be the toughest one. Become an all-star. It's the next progression in his career. Is it a year too soon? Very possible. Uh, I, you know, what I, you know, if, if I was a, a betting man, which, you know, sometimes I am, and it said, hey, um, you know, can you be an all-star this year coming up? I'd say it's possible, but, you know, it, it might not be a guarantee. The, the lack of wins is going to hurt us. But I think that he has the capability to be in the running to be an all-star next year. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast when we were like storylines to watch for the upcoming season. And it's like, will what kind of hardware will, will Halliburton get? And personally for me, it's like, I think there's a chance he makes the all-star team. There is. I think if he does reach that 50-40-90 club or is at least very close to it and he has really good stats, like he wants to be that 20-10 and 10 guy that he talked about, then he could make it. But at the same time, I wonder if it's going to be more of like an injury replacement type of all-star. Well, that, that, that is how I see it. I don't yeah. see him being like voted in off the bat. I see like if one guy is going to dr drop out, he could fill in. Kind of similar to like a LaMelo Ball last year where LaMelo Ball, DeJounte Murray, they got in, I believe, after there was like an injury. And those were they were on the cusp. So I feel like this is the pre-all-star year for Halliburton. But yeah. He's, he's got a real shot at it. Yeah, he's getting his feet wet, and I think it's going to be good for him to get his feet wet, even if he doesn't get into it, and maybe do, like, the skills challenge or figure out something that he can be involved in. I don't know how they do that, but obviously the the following year, the NBA All-Star Game will be in Indianapolis. So we definitely want Halliburton to make it by then. But um, I guess for me, Fachi, my last goal for Tyrese Halliburton is break Mark Jackson's record for the most assist in a season. Mark Jackson set this record back in 1997-1998 when the Pacers took the Bulls, Michael Jordan's Bulls, in his last year in Chicago, seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals where they blew a 25-4 lead at one point. So, I mean, I think we all remember that. If you were a Pacer fan back in the 90s, just because that was a, probably one of their closest chances to win an NBA championship. Uh, aside, maybe maybe from the brawl years, maybe they had a better chance there. I don't know, but I still think they had a really good chance to win it with that team. Probably one of the best teams, if not the best team, ever assembled in the NBA history of the Indiana Pacers. But Mark Jackson, 713 assists for the season. I think 
if Halliburton plays in 82 games and averages 10 assists a game, he's going to have 820 assists. So he should easily break that. But if he doesn't play in all 82 games, can he break that record, Fachi? I think he's going to have to play in at least 70 to 75 games to break that record. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be tough, but I, I'm out here. I'm out here crunching numbers. And man, say he is to play 82 games. You divide 713 by 82, it's 8.7 assists per game needed. Al Burton, a guy who's got his eyes on 10 assists per game, I mean, you got to factor in. He's also had in some games last year we put up 15 assists, 12, 13, whatever it is. Alex, I think that record's going down. I really do. And I don't want to plant <laughs> the flag on saying it's going down next year. But that man, Tyrese Halliburton, will shatter Mark Jackson's assist record. And it's going to happen, if not next year, I think the year after that. Yeah, Mark Jackson played in 82 games that season. So he played in all 82, which is tough. 8.7 assists per game. That's not his highest assist per game, though, because believe it or not, the previous year when he was with Denver before getting traded back to Indiana, he averaged 12.3 assists with the Denver Nuggets. Shockingly enough, in 52 games. It's still crazy, like, those old-school point guards back then. First of all, it felt like everyone was playing 82. But then also, like, you got John Stockton averaging, like, 14 assists per game when the, the final score was, like, 90 to 85. You know, it's, like, it's crazy, but that, that's how it was. Mark Jackson, John Stockton, two of the best point guards out there. You know, uh, and I just feel like Halliburton, as a passer, is very much on that level. And and I really do yeah. think that that record is going down, and it's going down ASAP. Yeah, man, I always felt like Mark Jackson was taller than six foot one, too. By the way, I don't know why. I thought he always felt taller. But with that being said, I mean, he six was a great passer. So small nowadays. What? Six one nowadays is so small. Like they try to yeah. list like Keeper Sykes basically at like six one. Guy looked like he was five eight. Yeah, so, he wouldn't know six foot one. I know. Now. That's a bullfish lie. I think, I think at one point they like gave him six foot, and I was like, no, that man is in the fives. Yeah. Like, so yeah, but <laughs> yeah. anyway, that record's going down, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna remember the conversation we had about it. Yeah, it'll be funny whenever they say Earl, if Earl Boykins was playing in today's NBA, he'd be close to six foot two. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I, I mean, it, crazy, just just nuts. I mean, oh man, Earl Muggsy Bows. It just feels like you you won't see that again anymore. Yeah, for sure, Fachi. So this was a really fun podcast to do and look at these goals for the upcoming season. If there's anything that we didn't put on these lists, let us know over at uh, Instagram, Twitter, wherever wherever you contact us. Let us know. In the comments section of the podcast post, if there's something that you thought we missed on, even if you're on Facebook, whatever, let us know. Like, hey, I think that Halliburton's goal should be this because we would love to hear your thoughts as well. But Fachi, um, in order for them to comment all that stuff to us, where will they be able to find us out on social media? Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok, Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Man, you are such a creature of habit. Oh, yeah. Uh, you said absolutely. Always. <laughs> at the beginning. And I was dying laughing because I said, where can they find us at? You're like, absolutely. That's how you That's answer the I question. Um, Ease it up. I will, <laughs> I will say this. YouTube is great. Um, got a lot of different episodes, interviews on there with some awesome guests. And I think... 
it's being slept on a little bit, but please go back and listen to our last episode on YouTube. It's the same that we same one with our podcast that we just did, but really cool to talk with Derek Murray from basketballnews.com and really diving into next year's NBA draft class. You're going to really like that. And I also talking about our, our draft class from this year. Uh, we haven't seen them play in an NBA game yet, but there's a lot uh, to be excited about there, but finally crossed 500 subscribers. We're currently at 512 at the time of this recording on Monday night at 6.45. So if you guys haven't already, make sure you subscribe over on YouTube at Setting the Pace of Pacers Podcast. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell the person at the grocery store, tell that person running that cash register in the drive-thru, hey, go to YouTube and check out this awesome Pacers Podcast because you're going to love it. They have so much great content on there. So, you know, it's awesome to see with Fachi. With that being said, if you're hoping Tyrese Halliburton is an NBA All-Star this year, Say these three words. Let's go, Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.